Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. You know, having, having a baby really changes everything, doesn't it? And I've kind of forgot that because our son is now two, a little over two years old. And I have to remember all the things that I kind of have forgotten for a newborn. You know, it's completely different. My, my son, who's two, is like 40 pounds, and now Griffin is seven pounds. It's like a complete different, different thing, and I don't know what I'm holding. It's like I'm holding like a, a bundle of bananas, you know, that are like, that are really ripe. You know what I mean? Like if I drop it, it's going it's to be a mess. And it's just, it's, it's different. I, and, and really, it's, 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 it's not twice as hard, is it? Those of you who have kids that have multiple kids, it doesn't just multiply by two the type of energy you need. No, you need like exponential amounts of energy now because you're chasing a toddler and then you, it, my wife got to worry about feeding the kid. And uh, I was going to say I got to, but I don't do anything in that regard. But it's, it's different. I, I, it's not double the amount of work. It's like triple, quadruple the amount of energy that you need. Come on, parents. You know, those of you who have, come on. Yeah, I see Jay and Gloria. They know they're in the same boat. Uh, you know, it's different. It's like, I, I was told this once, I ran a, a half marathon, and I thought, man, I, I am it. Like, this is, that's never going to happen again, you know? And I, I ran a half marathon, and I had friends of mine that I ran with, like, you want to run a full marathon? And I was like, sure, it's just, what, it's just twice as hard, right? You just, they're like, no, not at all. You, you feel like that you felt, you know, the, willing, the, the feeling you felt after finishing the half marathon, and then turn around and just run another half marathon. I was like, never mind. I don't want to do that. It's, it just seems... Way too hard. In fact, actually, um, there's a comedian that I love. His name is Jim Gaffigan. I don't know if any of you went to see him. He was here recently in Fresno, and uh, Faith was giving birth to our son, so I couldn't, you know, sneak out. Uh, but he was there, and uh, he, he has four kids, and I've heard him explain what it's like to have four kids. He says, having four kids is this. Imagine this. Imagine you're drowning, and someone throws you a baby. That's what four kids is, feels like. So I'm not complaining at all. I only have two kids. I know some of you have multiple kids. You're like, oh, man, we wish we only had two kids. It's not, it's not a, uh, you know, I'm not complaining at all, uh, but I, I, do, I do recognize that uh, I'm probably a little sleep deprived, um, but it's good. God is good in the house today, and, and it's, bless, it's a blessing being, uh, being a dad and, and having to kind of figure out all these things all over again, like I said. The things I worried about with Corbin, I've kind of forgotten, you know, uh, and, and, you know, now I'm trying to remember those things again so I can watch out for those, those things for Griffin. And um, I, I, uh, I, I begin to, to notice that, I, that my vision is changing again to, to be more mindful of a newborn. Those of you who are parents, you kind of know what I'm saying. You know, you, you're, you start looking out, you look at things differently now. You, you see things as dangers now that, they, that used to not be dangers. You, you see opportunities that you may not have had before. And I'm beginning to see all those things again. It's like brand new for me all over again. I'm seeing uh, opportunities now to be a, a dad of, of two boys. I, I look at, okay, what kind of teaching opportunities can I have? Yeah, I'm thinking of those things even though he's six days old. I'm thinking about what kind of teaching opportunities can I have for my son? What, what can I do? How can I begin to teach my sons how to share and how to love each other and how to care about each other and have, how to have each other's back on the playground? You know, I'm trying to think of all these different lessons and opportunities and it's shifting how I think about life even today. I thought I had a parenthood down because I had one kid, and really I realized I was pretty spoiled because now I'm, I'm seeing things differently. There's been a shift in my perspective, and God began to speak to me saying, 
there's something that also needs to shift in your perspective as well, not just about being a father, but spiritually, there are things that you don't see that you wish you could see. And so this morning I have a question. I'm going to ask this question to start off this message, and, and, and we're going to answer it as we go through the Word today. With, with a world that is in the state that it's in, with the dangers and opportunities all around us, with chances for confusion or clarity, for chances for unity or disunity, for chances of senseless tragedy or purpose in the pain, how do we begin to see what God's plan is and how it's unfolding and what our purpose is in that plan? How do we begin to see what's in our world, the dangers and opportunities, and how do we begin to know that God is wanting us to do something about it? We're going to answer that looking at Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. So if you'll turn there with me, if you have your books, or you can be able to follow along on the screen. It starts this way in chapter 3, verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in a 3 o'clock prayer service. Come on, somebody said 3 o'clock prayer services. We should do those again. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day, somebody say each day, he was put beside the temple gate, the one they called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. Verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. And Peter and John looked at him intently. They looked at him intently. Say, looked. And Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly. Somebody say, expecting? Expecting some money. But Peter said, I do not have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Verse 7, then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up and he stood to his feet and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Isn't our God good? Do you believe he still performs miracles today? He does. I believe that he does. So my question then, in this passage of the scripture as a as a motivation for us, as an as a inkling and a hint to answering the questions of how we begin to see as God sees and take opportunities that God has given us. The, the question I have in this passage of Scripture is, what was different about this afternoon for Peter and John than any other afternoons that they had ever walked to the temple before? We know that they regularly went to the temple to pray at 3 in the afternoon for, three, for the service a prayer service at three, and that daily this beggar was laid at the beautiful gate. So what from Scripture can we understand that was different about this interaction? I mean, did they just never see him before? You wonder that? Why, why today? Why not yesterday? Why not tomorrow? What was different in Peter and John's life that caused them to react this way? Maybe, maybe they just were so used to him, they just, you know what I mean? They, they were so used to him that they just didn't see him anymore. You know what I mean? You, you, you've experienced that before. You, you just get so used to something that, that it be, you become blind to it. You, you, you no longer, it just becomes a part of the scenery, like a bush or a tree. You know, that person at the gate is always there, and he'll always be there, and he just doesn't stand out anymore like he used to. You know, there's a, there was a TV show I used to watch all the time. Maybe you guys know it. it's called Brain Games. And, uh, yeah, some of you have watched that. And it's basically, it ex explains in this show 
uh, it points out the different ways and different, with different illustrations and experiments, the ways that our brains choose to ignore and push out certain stimuli. Uh, to determine uh, to deem or to determine what's really important for us to notice and what's not important, and and our brains automatically are doing that every day, all the time. It, it's choosing not to recognize certain things, uh, right? So, I mean, your brain's doing that right now as you're sitting in this seat. You're thinking about what I'm saying. You're not thinking is the is the button on my shirt right or my foot is hurting right now. Maybe some of you are thinking that. So, hey, put your attention back on me, right? So, the, your brain is just filling out and, and funneling out all of these different stimuli and, and telling you that's not important, this is important, right? And so we do that all the time. Our brain is doing that. And uh, there is an example that we all know and have probably seen before. You guys know Febreze, the Febreze commercials, going nose blind to things. I want to I show you uh, one of those commercials real quick. Uh, never mind, I'm not going to show it to you. It's not that important. Uh, basically, do you know... <laughs> Yeah, you guys thought you're gonna. You know, I'll explain it to you, right? So there, you know, in the one of the Febreze, one of my favorite ones, the Febreze commercials that I loved is when the the lady's driving with the big dog in the front seat. It's like, have you gone nose blind to certain odors? And then the dog, the car turns into a giant dog's head with like nasty stuff on it. That happens, right? You get into somebody's car and you're like, oh, what died in here, bro? Like, what? All the leftover pizza in the back seat and the fries in the like you can't smell that and like no I can't smell that at all right because they become nose blind to those those things their senses say it's no longer to smell it's no longer to recognize that you smell like uh, uh, vomit you know what I mean like it just <laughs> it kind of takes it out there and 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 I believe that happens with vision too I believe that that happens with the things that we see every day that we become blind to it we become. We, we can't see it the way that God wants us to see it or experience it the way that God wants us to experience it. And, and I ask the question, in a world filled with pain and hurt and brokenness and disasters and sin and death, I believe that we've become so, so stim, overstimulated by them that we no longer pay any attention to them. I believe that our world is, is so inundated with brokenness, so inundated with pain, with suffering, that, that we just shut it off altogether. We no longer see it anymore. Maybe because we've become blind to it. We've been overstimulated by it so long that we never even notice when someone's in pain. Even in our, our neighborhood, our family, our coworkers, we just don't see it anymore. It become, we become blind to it. Or, because it seems so overwhelming to us, we don't know what to do, so we choose to ignore it. We don't think that we can actually make a difference, so we just say, I'm going to pretend that it's not happening. Has anybody ever experienced that before in their life? I believe that it's happening on a regular basis, because there are people that you come in contact with that are in areas of pain and suffering, that are needing somebody to reach out to them, to care about them, but you can't see them. You don't recognize it. Or maybe, maybe even you are going through something in your life, you feel pain, the trauma of your life that you're going through, and it seems too overwhelming for you and so heavy for you that you choose not to think about it anymore because you don't know how to function with that gnawing at you day in and day out. So we decide to become blind to it or we decide to ignore it. And the first point I want to point out is that we, as believers especially, we don't see like we should. We don't see like we should. With all this brokenness around us, we've become blind in our brains and our hearts, write off this as normal and unimportant. 
or we become so overwhelmed by it, we just don't see any opportunity for God to move in that situation. Really, when we choose to ignore something because it seems overwhelming, it's because we fail to see the opportunity that God has created for us to, to have him move in our lives. And we begin to turn away from those things. As believers, how do we become aware of the pain then? How do we become aware of the brokenness that's all around us? How do we begin to see the dangers and the opportunities and see what God is willing to do about them? Seeing the issues around us, I think, is only really half the battle. Because then we actually need to know what to do about it, right? We don't want to just see the stuff and then say, well, I don't have a choice about it. We want to be able to see it and then also know what God is calling us to do. Once we answer the question of how we begin to see the problems, the next is to determine what we do about it. Do you know that we can also become blind, not only to the, the pain and the problem, but we can become blind to the solution, become blind to the fact that we serve an almighty God who says, I can do whatever I want to do, and if you're willing, I'll move in your life as well. We can turn off the fact that we have a solution in Jesus and allow the problems and circumstances to overwhelm us instead of saying, my God is bigger than any problem or situation that you're facing or I'm facing. Amen? I believe the, the, the reason why we do this is, is, what, is what Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 4, verses 24 through 27. He says this, But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time. This is speaking of the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament. And Jesus says, when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and there was a severe famine that devastated the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of those widows in Israel. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman of Syria. Before Jesus answers these words, he, we know that he was in the wilderness for, th for 40 days. He was fasting and praying, and he's ready to launch into his ministry. And he stood in the, in the synagogue, and he declared to the people in the synagogue these words from the prophet Isaiah, that he was there to liberate the captive, give sight to the blind, proclaim the good news to the poor. But they rejected him. They rejected him. Why did they reject him? They said, we know where you come from. We know whose son you really are. This is just the son of Joseph. This is just the carpenter's son. We don't expect anything from this man. He, he built my dining room table. I don't expect him to do all the stuff that, that he's saying he's going to do. Why did they say that? Because they were familiar with him. They were familiar with the person of Jesus, and so they did not expect the person of Jesus to be other than what they experienced because of their familiarity. Why is that a big deal? Because familiarity plays into us being blind to the things of God. Because when you're familiar with something, you're by nature not expecting it to change, correct? When something is familiar to you, you, you're on autopilot with it, right? So some of you, maybe you have like a, a place where you put your keys and your wallet when you first come in the house. You got maybe a little basket or something. I mean, some of you are just like clutch. You know, you can hit it without looking. It's just routine. You, you kick your shoes off. Ooh, there went one. You kick your shoes off, and they go, they go right, you know, wherever you want them because 
uh, you're the head of the home and you put your shoes where you want. Um, that's a different story. But you have, a, you have places that you typically do it, right? But the moment you come in and that's been moved, you throw it and you don't recognize it until you hit the, hear the keys hit the wall, right? Or you go to hang up your keys and that, the hook's not there and they drop to the ground because familiar is not supposed to change. And yet because we've gone, become familiar, we become blinded when, to when those things that aren't supposed to change do change. Does that make sense? Familiarity breeds sensory blindness because we do not expect new out of familiar. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying the solution of God, which was Jesus, was not accepted because the move of God was not expected. Can I say that again? The solution of God was not accepted because the move of God was not expected. They did not accept Jesus because they didn't expect him to be a move of God in their life. And there are things that God is wanting to do in your life, but because you can't accept them, you you will never expect God to move. The solution of God was not accepted because the move of God was not expected. Here's my second point. We cannot accept from God what we do not expect from God. Can I say that again? We cannot accept from God what we do not expect from God. Here's a question for you. What are you expecting God to do today? Are you expecting anything from Him? Are you expecting to encounter Him today? Are you expecting Him to to feel Him today? To change something in your life today? Because if you're not even expecting it, why would you accept it when it happens? You'll miss it because it's unexpected. We need to be a people that say, God, do whatever you want to do. I need you to move in this area of my life, and I am expecting you to move in this area of my life. And so when it comes, I'll be ready for it. And until it comes, I'll be ready for it. But we cannot accept from God what we do not expect from God. This means we have to have expectation for God to move before we see him move. That's what faith is, isn't it? Seeing the unseen. Believing what is not yet there, as if it will be here. This kind of expectation comes from knowing the goodness of God and having an intimate knowledge of His character. Let me, let me highlight what expectation is for you. You know, the, the, Bible, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Why, did, why is that written? Because there's supposed to be this experience with God That when we experience him, we know that he is good for us and we want more of him. Right? The psalmist wrote that. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Until you have tasted him, you won't know that he's good. Until you've experienced him, you won't know his goodness and his love. How do we make that in a practical level? Let me, me, uh, uh, practical level, let me me, uh, give an illustration. So imagine the best steak you've ever had. Can you close your eyes for a minute? Oh, thank you, Jesus. It's a beautiful cut, mm. medium to medium rare. Come on, somebody. I like mine well done. Well, okay. Beautiful. All the sides, all the fixings, the, the twice-baked mac and cheese, the, the, the beautiful baked potatoes, some of you who like asparagus, there's some. Everything. Can you taste it? Is your mouth beginning to water? Right? Some of you are saying, is church over yet? The reason, the reason you began to salivate and began to taste that is because you've tasted it before. 
The reason your body began to react that way when I began to talk about it is because you've experienced a good steak before. This is what, this is what uh, the Bible is saying here. You have to experience God to know his goodness so that when, when you need to expect a move of God in your life, you already know what it tastes like. You are already looking to see God move in your life because he's moved in your life before. This is the kind of expectation we need to have as believers in Jesus. I experienced you. I want to experience you again. And if you've ever had a relationship with Jesus, if you've given your heart to Jesus, you know what it means to, to feel him on the inside of you. To change your life, to begin to, the love you've never experienced before you began to experience in Jesus. The grace you never had before you begin to walk in in Jesus. The forgiveness you thought you could never receive has been freely given to you and you accept it for the first time. What Jesus has done before, he'll do it again. Amen? But we, we need to begin to see the way God wants us to see. But we become blind to the things of God all around us because we never expect Him to move. We never, we never enter into His presence with an excited expectation. Some of us, when we come to church, we come into this building, it just becomes another routine, another regular Sunday. And i got to tell you, I've been guilty of that before. Oh, God, let me just get through this, and then I can watch some football. Or maybe, God, let me get through this, and I can take a nap. It's just like, a, it's just like a, another thing that we do, that we mark off our list, that we went to church today. God, can we, can we be a people that repent of that and say, God, forgive us for not expecting you to move, even though we sing songs that say, you'll move. God, forgive us, God. Help us, Jesus, to be a people that are hungry and thirsty for your presence in this place because where your presence is, there is fullness of joy. And yet we are a people that are, that are walking around in a society that is full of depression and anxiety and brokenness because they've never seen the fullness of joy in our lives. So we need his presence so the fullness of joy can go outside of us and help minister to those who are lost and undone without Jesus. I don't know about you, but I need a move of God. I need a move of God in my life. I believe you need a move of God in your life. We need to experience Him again. We need to be hungry and thirsty for Him. Sometimes, because this becomes routine for us, it becomes familiar. And we are no longer walking into this building expecting anything from God. We expect to sing songs, we expect to give offering, we expect to hear announcements, we expect to hear a message, and then we expect to go home. We've become so familiar with Jesus that he no longer has any power and authority in our lives. God, forgive us. Let us be a people who are willing to say, God, whatever it takes, I want to experience you again. Whatever it takes, whatever it looks like, I don't care if I have to be a fool. I will do anything, God, to experience your presence in my life again. Going back to the scripture in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they're going in for afternoon prayer. We know we, they did this daily because Acts chapter 2 talks about it. They enter into the beautiful gate, which is their regular, probably their regular routine. The beggar, he was carried there day after day. And he had been doing this for the majority of his life. And Peter and John and the beggar, they were all doing what they had always done. But this time, something was different. 
What made this encounter different? What made Peter respond the way that he did, as opposed to any other time that he had ever encountered this beggar? I believe the answer is found in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1 says this. Oh, come on. When the, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like the mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were seated. And divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What was different from the experience yesterday to the experience today? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then it goes on to say in verse 42, And they were devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, and they were breaking in bread and in prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They, Peter and John had encountered the Holy Spirit in an experiential way that they had never encountered Him before. Because Jesus says, I go to a place, but I will send a comforter. I will send one who is like me to you. And it is better that I go so that you can have him because he'll live inside of you. And the power of God will rest in you. And so they then, waiting on the Lord, he says, wait in Jerusalem until this day happens. And at Pentecost, they're sitting there and they're praying and they're fellowshipping. And then the Holy Spirit descended upon them and the Holy Spirit filled them with power. And now they were transformed. But not just being people who talked about Jesus, but being people that were transformed by Jesus from the inside out. They had never encountered him in this way, and all of a sudden they were different. They saw the needs and the pain around them in new light. They saw opportunities for God to move. That new light was the expectation that God had a solution to every problem. They had a solution. Number point number three, the Holy Spirit gives us new vision and greater expectation. He gives us new vision and greater expectation. What Peter and John couldn't see before, they could see now. And we need to be a people that see new again, don't we? We need to see as we should. Peter and John, they couldn't expect before, because they, but now they're, they're expecting. What Peter and John couldn't give before, now they're able to give because they had encountered the Holy Spirit and they were filled with the Spirit. I have a question that I asked at the beginning of this message that said, with a world that is in a state that it's in, with dangers and opportunities all around us, with chances for confusion or clarity, unity or disunity, senseless tragedy or purpose in the pain, how do we begin to see God's plan unfolding and how do we know what our part is, it, is in it? The answer is found in having intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Having intimacy with the Holy Spirit. That means having a daily encounter with Him, growing in relationship with Him and asking for fresh vision and bold faith. Peter and John, they had en encountered the lame man at the gate, but it was drastically different that afternoon because they had encountered the Holy Spirit and saw what He could do through them. This is why Peter said, what I have, come on somebody, Peter said, what I have, I give to you. That means he had ownership over it. Because what the Holy Spirit gives to you, he gives freely and says, you take ownership, you take stewardship of it. So he was able to give it out. He says, what I have, I give to you. 
And he knew what the power of the Holy Spirit could do because in Acts chapter 2, verse 43 says, And all came upon all, every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done in the midst of the apostles. Peter could give this healing to the man because he knew the Holy Spirit lived inside of him. Do you have that kind of boldness? Do you have that kind of confidence? Knowing at any moment, at any time, the Holy Spirit could use you to bring deliverance to somebody, to bring healing to somebody, if you say, I don't really feel confident in that. My challenge for you then today is, what kind of intimacy do you have with the Holy Spirit? Do you know you can have intimacy with the Holy Spirit? That when you pray, it's not just a one-sided conversation. Our God is not a mute God, friends. Our God is a God who's alive and still speaking today. Our God is a God who still has something to say to you. And he is wanting to speak to you, but we need to be a people that are expecting him to speak. Expecting him to move. And we need to encounter the Holy Spirit in a way that helps us be intimate daily with him. There's no other way. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. We must be filled with his presence, filled with his, with his power. And we need to walk in it daily. Why do we need to walk in it daily? Because, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm still broken. I still have cracks. I still leak. Amen? So I need the presence of God daily. I need to encounter Him daily because I'm a broken person and I'm going to have a bad attitude if I'm not sitting in His presence. I'm going to respond differently. I'm not going to be as sweet as I should be because I still leak and there's still parts of me that, that need to be transformed by the power of Jesus. And so I need to walk daily in His presence. When, when we give our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. He gives us new life and He helps us to live like Jesus. This is salvation. This is having a relationship with Jesus. But the encounter that Peter and John had, along with the other apostles in the upper room with the Holy Spirit, wasn't a salvation encounter. It wasn't like they were getting saved in the upper room. They already had relationship with Jesus. The encounter they had with the Holy Spirit was an empowering encounter that gave them new vision and greater expectation. There is a different kind of encounter that you have with the Holy Spirit after you are saved. It is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When He comes upon you and you experience Him new and fresh, and you begin to speak in new languages and new tongues, and you begin to walk out in the power and authority that God gives you, this is the kind of power and encounter that we need to have with the Holy Spirit. He gave them new power to do something about the issues that they first tried to ignore. He allowed them to see the problem and see the solution at the same time. And God is wanting to move in your life in such a way that you will see the problems around you, but you won't choose to ignore them because they seem overwhelming. Come on, somebody. He will allow you to see the problems in your life, and then he'll give you the solution to go meet the problem head to head. God is wanting to do that in you by encountering him today.